Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. I'm John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton. And we've been talking about the future. Last week on this program, James Howard Kunstler talked about peak oil, climate change, and how we're basically shrugging our shoulders and investing in magical thinking. Some folks, however, are deciding to take matters into their own hands and working on transitioning themselves to a post-petroleum reality. And believe it or not, some of the folks I interview on Religion for Life aren't even religious, like Sam Jones. I don't consider myself religious. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what my religious beliefs are, <clears throat> but yesterday I came pretty close picking those warm green beans. It was just almost like a spiritual experience. And I know that sounds woo-woo or whatever. I, I don't care. It it was what it was. Um, and I went through the whole rest of the day with this. That happened like, mm, I don't know, one in the afternoon. And I was still kind of humming and glowing when I went to bed from that whole standing in the garden, sun, picking beans. And it was just like, whoosh, you know, just just an amazing inner experience. It was as close as I come to spiritual that it that I can get. So And you um and you wrote about it in your blog. Do you mind just reading that entry right there that begins there? Nothing has ever impacted my life like growing my own food, besides raising my four daughters, of course. Who knew I'd fall in love with the whole process from seed to table? Who knew I'd be taking pictures of food, for crying out loud? I love knowing that my life energy is going into the soil and the seeds and the plants, right along with sun and water and compost. And I can't tell you how alive and empowered I felt today as I stooped over those bean plants and plucked the sun-warm pods, filling my basket, or how good it felt to snap those beans and cook them with some just-dug potatoes and garlic cloves, or how delicious they tasted alongside slices of red, red early tomatoes and a spicy cauliflower curry. The culmination of spring and the beginning of summer all came together on my dinner plate tonight while the earth turned slowly on her axis and a new season began. As I chopped celery to go into the dehydrator after dinner, I was reminded of this scripture. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. This is Religion for Life. My name is John Shuck, and my guest is Sam Jones, resident of Johnson City. Uh, next week. Next week. Yes. Now, where is it you live this past week? <laughs> I've lived for the last 10 years in Jonesboro. Jonesboro, Actually, my, okay. Uh, my mailing address is Jonesboro, but I live way out in the country. I don't live in the town proper. So you're planning a move. To Johnson City, Yes, okay. next week, right downtown. Sam Jones is a blogger. She blogs at tennesseetransitions.wordpress.com, and, and she's been in the news, and I thought she would be a wonderful guest on Religion for Life to talk about simple living and uh, our environment and our energy and all of that kind of thing. You've been an advocate, and welcome. Thank you, John. You've been an advocate and a practitioner for simple living for a long time. When did you realize that... Our way of life, 
was unsustainable and needed to change. I realized uh, from my life personally um, about almost 15 years ago, I was kind of at a crossroads in my life, and um, my children had were graduating from college. I was at the top of my career. I was in my 40s, and um, it just began to hit me, or I was asking myself the question, is this all there is, you know? Um, and so about 15 years ago, uh, I took a little short six-week course called Voluntary Simplicity, and that little course changed my life. But it was only maybe in the past five to ten years, um, there was no one defining moment. It's just occurred to me, and and I've realized over this decade that this is not just about my life and the little things I do. This is about um, the world and everything and everyone in it. What what was it about that course, Voluntary Simplicity? What did it do? It It put a name, first of all, to what I was feeling, the is this all there is feeling. Um, I had never heard the term voluntary simplicity. Um, it, it gave me kind of a blueprint. Uh, you know, I could see from the course book that, that came along with it that this is how I wanted my life to be. It was My life was very complicated and complex and busy and um, overwhelming and not particularly happy. Uh, I had I was deeply in debt. And my marriage was failing, and um, it was just, like I said, at a crossroads. Perhaps if that course had come along at a different time, it may not have impacted me the way it did, but it really spoke to me um, that I have to do something different with my life. And so this course was about um, ways to, what, uncomplicate life? Well, you know, you can't put that in a book, per se, but... uh, it, each chapter, I think there were like six chapters. It, we did a chapter a week, and there was one on time and energy and money and consumerism and the environment and how all of those things um, impacted the choices we make every day were impacting my life. And I was just making, it made me realize I was making all the wrong choices to make me happy. And where did you take this course? In Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it was through a nonprofit out of Portland, Oregon called the Northwest Earth Institute. And since that time, since I took it a dozen years ago, um, they've uh, got an, a sister affiliate in Boone and and I think a, a, another one somewhere close by. So their their work is spreading around the United States. And you yourself have, have taught uh, that course, haven't you? I have, here? yes. I've offered it uh, at my church through the Simplicity That's Group. Holston Valley Unitarian Universalist Church. Holston Valley, yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, I've offered it there three or four times, and every time I offer it, um, people come out of the woodwork, just like I came out of the woodwork there. I feel like um, we're all kind of searching for a different way of living. You And you began blogging in February. I did. And uh, you write on your blog on the About section, if we collectively plan and act early enough, we can create a way of living 
that's significantly more connected, more vibrant, and more fulfilling than the one we find ourselves in today. Now is the time for us to take stock and to start recreating our future in ways that are not based on cheap, plentiful, and polluting oil, but on localized food, sustainable energy sources, resilient local economies, and an enlivened sense of community well-being. This blog is my attempt to create that new way of living. So what, what kind of things have you been blogging about? Everything from biking to hiking. Um, and it's not just about those sorts of things. Uh, I've touched on consumerism, transition towns, urban living, slow food, sustainability issues, the environment, community gardens, community building, building resilience as a community, backyard chickens, beekeeping, uh, and probably pretty much everything in between there. <laughs> but uh, at, I, I have um, the purpose of the blog was really to try to get people to begin thinking about ways that we as a society, and particularly my little blog community, um, to transition to a world that's based on uh, lower energy supplies and higher prices for those supplies, um, increasing demand by other countries, the climate change that we're experiencing and will continue to experience if we don't uh, lower our emissions, those sorts of things. TennesseeTransitions.wordpress.com is the name of the blog, and Sam Jones is my guest on Religion for Life, uh, living in Jonesboro but soon to Johnson City. In a recent blog entry, uh, you wrote that even though there are they are the very premise behind this blog. I find myself shying away lately from subjects as peak oil, climate change, and globalization. I'm finding it difficult to write about those topics with a vision of a positive alternative to our present reality. And that is precisely what I intended to offer you when I began this exercise. So, But we do need to discuss these larger issues, don't we? Um, when did you first hear about peak oil? And, and give us a definition. Peak oil um, is a a term that I believe was coined by a scientist uh, whose last name is Hubbard, and it was uh, called Hubbard's Peak. Um, And I'm not certain. I think it was uh, back in the 70s that he predicted that we, the world, would reach its peak oil production. And there's some variation on it. Of course, that's not a, a, a thing that can be exactly pinpointed, but we are at peak oil now. Actually, many new scientists now believe that we are beyond peak oil, which just simply means that we've reached the maximum production of uh, oil extraction from the earth without deep, deep drilling and uh, going to some of the um, extent that we've gone to now in, in the ocean and so forth. Yeah, I think they said since about 2005, we've certainly had a plateau, and perhaps this conventional oil uh, has been actually dropping uh, since then. So it's kind of the size of the spigot, not necessarily the tank. It's the, the the rate of production that has peaked. Yes. But that has an immense effects because we are we live and we, move and being in oil, have our being in oil, don't we? We do. Every single thing in our lives is seems to be connected to oil. I can't think of a single thing that is not. And that's the idea of transition, of how can we make a transition to a a, a more post-petroleum type of culture. Exactly. All right, so that's pretty hard to look at, isn't it? 
It is. And I, and when I started the blog, I thought that I was going to be able to just tackle that head on because it was uppermost in my mind and on my uh, in my thoughts and my heart. But I wanted to offer uh, positive solutions uh, to the dilemma mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, people don't want to. They don't. I don't either. I don't want to just hear about the problem. I need some answers. And I wanted to be able to give my readers answers. And then after five months of blogging, it's it's harder than I expected. And the answers maybe not are answers, but they're just kind of things that you kind of have to do because it gets really depressing just thinking about it. Exactly. It does get depressing. And I'm not going to gain readership by offering just a big depression uh, blog every day. So um, it's just harder than I thought. And I've I've begun to kind of transition myself from offering simple, easy solutions and ideas that people might uh, incorporate into their daily lives that would use less oil, less of the earth's resources and, and emit fewer emissions. Um, I'm trying to transition from that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, that we each have to do what we can. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's one baby step, that's one more than you might have taken the day before. But I still feel that there are bigger solutions and that are we're going to have to focus on as communities of folks rather than individual actions. No matter how important those in individual actions are, it, it's also going to require uh, a community. And, and that has opened up a other people are obviously feeling that way because there's a movement afoot called the Transition Towns Movement. It started in uh, England and has spread across the ocean, and there are transition towns all over the United States. Um, they're well-organized efforts to help communities and towns and cities and boroughs and villages transition to a lower-energy lifestyle before oil and its products become so expensive or so scarce that we can't even transition at that point. And you've been, uh, so are you hoping that to make Johnson City a transition town? <laughs> Not me personally. Not, <laughs> or hope that it might I wish or be that participating with others to do that? I would love it if, if uh, Johnson City folks could come together and um, there's, you know, there's a training involved and that sort of thing and and certainly good leadership and organization that would need to happen but I would love to see that happen and I would be the first one to sign up and what would be some of the things that these transition towns uh, would do or, or are doing um the folks that are part of the group the actual organization um, tend to break up into um, subsets or little groups of their particular interests. For example, for me, I would want to probably uh, be on the food focus group. They focus on different subsets of the whole problem, and then they come together and share with one another um, ideas and and, uh, solutions for those issues. So um, they will focus on um, alternative energy sources, alternative uh, transportation sources, uh, local food sources. Uh, They start time banks where people share, give and trade uh, their time for credits to help one another do things um, they're offering. 
um, things like uh, like old-fashioned skills that we've actually kind of left behind, you know, um, like shoe repair and um, um, I'm trying to think, maybe uh, bicycle repairs, uh, those kinds of skills that would be needed in a lower energy world. And one of the things that uh, you've been involved in, in fact, you were in the newspaper a few months ago about the Community Garden Project in Carver Park in Johnson City. How did that start? Um, In 1994, I took the uh, Washington County uh, Master Gardener course. And and to maintain your annual certification to continue your work as a Master Gardener, you have to uh, donate or volunteer a certain number of hours every year. And you there are a number of, of uh, projects that you can choose from where you put your hours and your time. And there were lots of lovely projects to choose from. But every single one of them in, in 2004 when I graduated was uh, – concerned with beautification and I'd be the first to tell you I don't know anything about growing flowers and roses and beautiful things like that but I do know how to grow food and I just felt that that was um, an area that needed to to be offered to master gardeners and so um, I just thought and and it was also kind of you know at the same time that I was starting to I was incorporating voluntary simplicity in my life and and really beginning to enjoy knowing where my food came from, that whole cycle that I talked about in my blog last night. Uh, And so uh, the timing and the economy was starting to go south and gasoline prices were rising. And I just thought, you know, a community garden is makes sense. So I went to the city of Johnson City uh, because I live out in the country. You can't very well have a community garden in the country. It's just difficult. Community mm-hmm. garden is is meant for those folks that live in the immediate vicinity to be able to have a place to grow their food. And um, Johnson City, um, the director of the Carver Center where the garden is located, said, why don't you come over? We've got a lot of land over there and see if there's any place there that you can uh, visualize as being a community garden, and they had the perfect spot, and that was five years ago. And so it's been growing. You've had uh, in the garden ever since? Yes, ever since. And this, by far, I mean, knock on wood, it's only June, but uh, this year seems to be the year that we have um, reached our, I don't know, um, goal, if you will, of having well-maintained gardens offering um, uh, community education classes on everything from gardening to canning and preserving food. Uh, it just works real well. Carver has a commercial kitchen inside that they let us use for the canning and drying and freezing classes. Uh, so um, nutrition, all of that, and the community of folks that are gardening this year are really becoming cohesive. And let me let me hmm. say, it's not uh, some perfect utopia. There, whenever you're dealing with all those personalities and all those ideals and and ways of doing things, you know you're going to have differences of opinion. But I'm still seeing this genuine effort on the part of the gardeners to want to want to get along, to want to be part of that community and not just do their own thing in their own plot. Well, that's what it takes. I mean, community is just a trial and error and practice and, and getting in there and 
It is, yes. How many people are involved? Um, there are 22 plots, but some of the plots are um, double size, and they are, are gardened by uh, are by groups. For example, there's a group of uh, Quillen medical students that are um, cultivating one plot this year, a big plot, and they donate their food to the Salvation Army and the food banks and so forth. And then the smaller plots are either single individuals or, or families. So um, there's just a big variety of of um, people there. I'm sorry, I forgot your question, but... No, how many there were. How and, many? And my guest is Sam Jones, who is a blogger and, and a whole wide variety of things that you do, uh, and blogs at tennesseetransitions.wordpress.com, um, and talking about the community garden at Carver Park right now, and... Uh, you, in order to get a plot, they need to take a course. Is that right? No, no. No, they don't need to take no, a course. No, I oh, just I took I a, I took a master paper. gardener course, and that's what's prompted me to start the garden. No, um, you don't have to have any experience at all to get a plot in the garden. Uh, if you have experience, that's good too. It, we will help those that don't have any experience. Okay, by, because by you do offering offer... them some classes throughout the growing season. Yes, tomorrow night we're going to have a class on. Um, uh, the new term is called IPM, which is Integrated Pest Management. The old term is just uh, organic insect control. <laughs> so okay. That's the class tomorrow night. And if you're joining us, uh, this is A Religion for Life. And another thing that you've been involved with is uh, COOP, Chickens on Our Property. What has been what – is, what is that about? What's it? Um. I have chickens now where I live out in the county, and a year ago I put my my husband and I put our house on the market. We knew that we were ready to move back into town, and um, I, it occurred to me that the current city code as it stands now would not allow me to have my chickens and bring them to town with me. So a full year ago, last summer, uh, summer of 2011, I think it was uh, very early August, maybe even July, I decided to try to start a group uh, of people that to get the city code amended to allow this. And I knew it would be a long process, but I didn't. I really didn't think it would take a year or more. But yet here I am a year later getting ready to attend um, a city council meeting in two days that, um, you know, it's still an ongoing discussion, still working on that. But that's all part of the transition movement, isn't it? It, it definitely is. Um, in my mind, anyway, uh, raising a small flock of backyard hens and gardening organically, using their manure to uh, enrich my soil, add to my compost, you know, to compost it, and being able to have eggs. That's just icing on the cake is the eggs. The, the hens, uh, when you let them free range a little bit, uh, they scratch out a lot of their food needs, their protein needs, and they keep the insects down. And in integrated pest management, a, a chicken is certainly right in there as a viable way to control pests in your garden. Uh, so yes, it's definitely one little key piece of, of uh, transitioning. You know, actually what we're doing when we say transitioning and um, we're just transitioning backwards to before the Industrial Revolution. I mean, n I'm not saying I, I want that to happen, but in reality, that is what's going to happen with peak oil and 
we we may as well face it and learn to grow our food and be more self-sufficient and certainly more resilient and not depend so much on food that's been trucked in from across the country. It's really an aspect of being aware of what it is we use and what it is we throw out. Yes. And you've really, uh, and for, as I'm reading your blog, you make, uh, you talk about a, a lot, and you just said earlier a number of things that you're doing, and for example, recycling and, and uh, using waste. How, how has that changed for you? Um, I'm, it's just, uh, I guess, uh, a mindset. I, or, um, I, you know, I, I thought that I coined this little phrase that I love several years ago, and I was using it as my signature on my emails that says, there is no away, as in throw it away. Mm -hmm. And so finally, my garbage can in the kitchen at home, I took a big magic marker (laughs) and wrote away (laughs) on the side of the trash can because um, there are a lot of things that we can recycle, reuse, repurpose, but there are once in a while you get to the point you just there is no um, known place for an item or a thing, and so just that awareness uh, has helped me. Uh, I'm you know I'm I'm just very aware of how much waste goes into our waste stream, and uh, I don't want to pollute the earth any more than I already am, and I'm by nature a frugal person, um, and so it it all just uh, there is a Almost for everything in our lives, if we're really uh, aware of it and um, focused on it, we can find a way to reuse just about everything or repurpose it or recycle it. And those things that you can't, then maybe you need to look at those things and say, I don't want that in my life. If that's, uh, you know, uh, disposable paper plates or you know, fill in the blank. So I try not to waste anything. Do you think, just shifting it a little bit, uh, that people are getting this need that uh, that we need to transition or are we still mostly in denial? And, and I'm also thinking not in terms of just individuals, but politically. I think we're still in denial. Mm-hmm. Our government doesn't talk about it. Um, even though there have been many government experts and, and scientists that have uh, completely backed up all the research and come out on their own as individuals and produced reports. Our government has produced reports that, that are um, very indicative of, of the need that we're facing, the, the scary future we're facing without oil, but they're not supporting it. They're you know, there, there's no, uh, what is the, you know, they're not walking their talk. Hmm. Uh, and then there's a lot of government folks that absolutely don't even recognize it and won't recognize it and deny it. And it's almost a sense in, in, from that group that uh, just talking about it is like bringing it all, bringing us all down. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, that's why I said in the blog I was struggling to find a positive way to talk about these things. Uh, because it is a depressing thought that our whole lifestyle, it, you know, and our children and our grandchildren's lives are going to change um, when the when the oil is no longer available. Sam Jones, a community activist. Is that right? I guess. There you go.
for uh, transitioning uh, our, our communities and our individual lives as my guest on Religion for Life. We just have about a minute yet, a minute left. What would you like people to, uh, to know, to get? Um, I think uh, don't let people say that individual action um, can't make change. Uh, and if your individual action can, uh, can affect just one more person, someone in your family or your friend or a co-worker, it spreads like wildfire. All right. Thank you for being with me on Religion for Life, Sam. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, public life, and social justice. I'm John Sheck, minister at First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find out more information about my congregation on the web, fpcelizabethton.org. You can also find out more information about this program and links to podcasts at religionforlife.me. Find Religion for Life on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1 Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM Emory, Virginia. Be well.